Well, good morning, guys. How are we doing? I want to share a little personal history with you this morning. It was January 1st, 1984, right here in Leesburg. Um, it was snowing outside. Temperature was probably 10 degrees. And a little building about uh, half a mile from here on South King Street, I launched my business. And uh, for those that don't know me, uh, maybe this is your first time here, uh, I pastor this church because I, I love doing this and feel like God's called me to do that, but I make a living from business. And so 1984 was uh, this launch date for me, and I have to tell you, I was absolutely, uh, totally scared, afraid, um, for good reason. I, I had no clients, I had not a great plan, I was desperately uh, in need of income. I had a little girl that I was responsible for and myself. And so I started this business with uh, $50,000 that I'd borrowed from my parents. And it wasn't just any $50,000. It was there at that time. It was their entire retirement fund. And you talk about pressure. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, where will my parents live when this goes under? Uh, what are they going to do for the rest of their lives? It was, it was a lot of pressure. And, and I think maybe enough that it just kept me going. But I will tell you this, when you start a business, um, it is, it's, it's challenging. It's very difficult. And this was no exception. I, I mean, I, I, I was by myself, <laughs> my office that had a bathroom, but you actually had to go outside and down the porch to be able to use it. And it was January when I started, so I tried not to drink any coffee that day, you know. Um, it, was, it was just a challenge, and I, like, I sat down at my makeshift desk and thought, now what do I do? And it was a lot of work. I mean, a lot of work. There were times when I would go to work at 7 o'clock on a particular morning, work all day, and then work through the night into half of the next day just because I was trying to get this thing moving and going. And if you've ever started a business, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I got through the first year and the second year, and I actually made it through the third year and then the fourth. And my goal was to get to five years. Not that that was the end. I just wanted to get to five years because... 50% of most businesses fail in the first five years. 30% fail in the first year, but 50% die in five years. And I, I didn't have a good plan for after five years. So I got into this thing and I was pushing and working and we got to five years and something started uh, taking place here in my heart. In, it, it was this business, um, it was just like, a baby to me, well, not, not quite, but it was precious to me. Everything I had, I poured into making this work because there was so much. I had a lot of dreams with it, but I also needed to make it happen. And so this, this feeling that I had started this process in my head that this was mine. Now, I'd been praying, I'd ask God to help me, and I, I gave him the business every day, but then he kept giving it back, and 
so I just, uh, I just took on this, this thing that this is mine. We went six years, and then seven, and I had a couple of employees, and then eight and nine, and finally we hit the 10-year mark. And for the first time, I could breathe. I could sit back a little bit. I, I actually started getting a, a really nice paycheck, and I started getting some stuff, and it just, it was, it was nice. We, we, uh, by this time, Pam and I were married, and, and so we could, you know, buy food and, and other things. It was really good. And, um, so something else started happening in my heart. Okay, this, this was good. This is mine. I had to own this. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's mine. Um, when the money started coming in, I started feeling like it was for me. You know, now I could actually get a decent car, something kind of fun. I could, you know, buy this or buy that. And, and um, this was, it was creating something inside of me that many of us choose to live with but I realized that God wasn't going to allow this. I, I was, I, I'd given him this. I had asked him for this. And I really felt like God called me to business just as much as, as ministry, actually. And, and I, I think our jobs many times are callings from God. And I think they're just as valid. Your job is just as valid as me being the pastor of this church. Your calling, in my opinion, now a lot of people will disagree with me, but your calling to to work or business or whatever it is that you do, that God's, it's a calling that, that is just as valid as any that I've had. And, and so I lived that way and I wanted this, but because I was fighting from day one to make this happen, I adopted this. This is mine. And then when things started going good, I thought it was for me. So I'm going to talk about that today. That's what we're going to talk about. We're in this series called BitCon, The, the Lies We Trust. And, and I want to deal with some lies that we've bought into and uh, try to, to just bring to you something that God's bringing to, to us as a church. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus makes a statement in verse 15. And he's talking to his followers and he says, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Now, if, you're, if it's early in the morning and you're having your quiet time and you open that book up and you start reading there in Luke chapter 12, you'll read through that and say, well, I'm not greedy. And you'll just keep on, well, unless you are, but you just, you just kind of keep on reading and you'll miss what Jesus is saying. And we're going to get into that a little bit today. But I'm going to talk about greed because I think maybe we have to deal with greed a whole lot more than we think we do. Um, greed is sneaky. You don't see it many times. It's subversive. Our culture promotes it over and over and over. There was an old AT&T commercial uh, that I was able to find, and I gave it to our tech crew. I said, hey, show us this. So I understand this, this was from another time, but you'll remember it, those of you who were cognizant, you know, just a few years ago of anything, and uh, let's take a look at it. Who thinks more is better than less? 
Okay, why? More is better than less because if stuff is not less, if there's more less stuff, then you might you might want to have some more, and your parents just don't let you because there's only a little bit. Right. We want more. We want more. Like you really like it. You right. want more. I follow you. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's, that's what, like my all-time favorite commercial. But we do, don't we? We want more. And so the big question, and I have this in your notes. Get your notes out because I, I want you to take some good notes on this stuff today. The big question is this. Once again, how do you get more without ending up with less? And we'll talk about less in a moment. Now, I don't know about you, but I personally, as I understand greed, I struggle with greed. I like stuff. And stuff likes me. We get along. And if I were to ask you today, where does greed come from? You would say, oh, Satan. He's just created greed. I might challenge that a little bit. He may use some of this to twist things around. But greed comes from something that you might not expect. The 13th century priest, and I think uh, this is in your notes, Thomas Aquinas said this, the neediness of our soul, in other words, our, our wanting more, the, 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 i got to have you know, more, that is, he says, it's a pointer to God. It's almost like he's saying, God has created this. And in one sense, I would agree with him. The, the writer of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, writes, he goes, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. Listen to what he says. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people can't see the whole scope of God's work. We can't comprehend it. He has put something in our hearts, and it makes us want more. We want more in life because God created us for more. It is innate in every human being. We long for more because we were made for more. But that can quickly become unhealthy, can't it? In your notes, I want you to write this down because these longings we have, these, these are eternal longings. And here's, here's the key. Man, this is, take this home today. Eternal longings cannot be filled with temporary things. They can't be filled with temporary things. Now, we try that. We try to, we have these things that drive us and we want this and we want that and, 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 and we're pushed to it and, and sometimes we look at ourselves and say, what, where do you think and where does that come from? Why can't, why can't I be content? What, what is it that I, I have and I, it's just not good enough and I have to have something else? And the truth is, if that desire for more has become unhealthy in our lives, it is really a God issue. And our desire for more becomes a God issue many times. We often think, if I just had that new, you could fill in the blank, I would be fulfilled. If I just had that new computer, that would really, that would be, that would just set me up for life. Like, they last two years, right? You know, if I had that job, if, if, I, if, I, if I got this career going, that would change everything. If, if I got that car, 
Woo, then. And <laughs> I've fallen for that like seven times. <laughs> I keep trying. But it gets worse, doesn't it? Because if I had that spouse, you see where this goes? If I had that life, and the question would be, why didn't the last one of whatever that is work? What is it? Jim Carrey said this, and I think it's amazing that I can repeat anything that Jim Carrey said in church. I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it is not the answer. Isn't that an amazing thought? There's somebody that has just about everything you could want to have in life. So today we're talking about money. But the principles that I'm going to share with you is true with just about everything in our life. If we don't give God our lives, we're going to be chasing things to fill these voids in us and squander the greatest opportunity that God has for our life and the greatest plans that he has for our life. And we'll keep chasing things and doing these kinds of things and never find God in them and miss our purpose for being on the face of the earth. And I know what some of you may be thinking right now in your heart of hearts, Greg, I really don't want more of God right now. I really, I've got this thing and, and, and I'm going for it. And, and it, you know, it could be something like totally unhealthy for you. But you're, you're just dead set on this. And I think saying that you don't want more of God might be a good place to start. At least you're being honest. And I think maybe a prayer for you could be this. And I, and I want you to think about this. Take this one home. It's not in your notes, but Lord, would you help me to want, to want more of you? Would you just change my heart? Help me to want the right thing. Help me to run after Help me to want to run after the right things. Last week I talked about John Wesley. And John Wesley was uh, kind of the, the catalyst, well not kind of, he was the catalyst for the great awakening that started in Europe, spread to America. And um, uh, today there are over 30 million people connected still to that great awakening that took place. The whole Methodist church uh, was crea created out of his ministry. And as he started teaching God's word to people, it was really interesting. He was teaching to a crowd of people, just commoners in Europe, and, and they were just poverty stricken. They had nothing in life. They, they had nothing to look forward to. And as he began teaching them godly principles and teaching them about giving God what was his and, and, and putting him first in their lives, these people began putting these promises into, into action. And all of a sudden they had money that they'd never had before. Many of them became very wealthy. And John Wesley himself had immense wealth, and he, he uh, started feeling this burden, I need to teach people what to do with money, because they've never had it. And the reality was, he had never had it either, and now he was dealing with something that I think by the end of his life equated to about $30 million in today's money, and he, he had to learn and then teach what we need to learn now about money. So, he had this saying, and he, he was very famous for this. He said this, he said, earn all you can, 
save all you can and give all you can. Earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. Now, when we talked a little bit about earning all we can last week, um, when we get to save all we can, I know what many of you are thinking. You're, you're thinking savings account. You, you know, if you go to financial peace, you, you'll hear you give the first 10% to God, you put the next 10% in savings, and then I don't remember what, what you do with all the rest of it. Um, I should go to the class. Um, I will, Steve. You've been after me. I'll go. Um, but I know. I, I don't know what you said. La, 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 la. Um, when he was talking about save all you can, he wasn't talking about a savings account or an IRA or a Roth IRA. Here's what he was saying, and I want you to write this in your notes. He was saying, lower your standard of living so that you can increase your standard of giving. Lower your standard of living so you can increase your standard of giving. So Jesus is teaching here in, in Luke chapter 12, and he, he continues on, verse 16. He told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, when I, when I read this, think about how many personal pronouns you hear, I, me, my, the, I think they're pronouns. Just whatever it is, just think about it. <laughs> what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my, myself, at this point, nobody else is talking to the guy. He's talking to himself. I'll say to myself, listen to this. You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Isn't that something that... That's, isn't that kind of the American way? Let's, let's just make some money, do the best we can, and then chill. What the part they forget to tell you is, and then you die. Okay? Don't forget that part. Let's just kick back, take it easy, and die. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. So, <clears throat> here's a, here, these are the lies over here. The lies that we've learned to trust. The lies that, that we really believe in many times. And again, you can put anything in here you want. It could be money, it could be relationships, it could be anything. Career, job, cars, whatever. You could... You could here are, the, here are the three lies that we tell ourselves. Money, the money I get, is mine. Now, I'm not going to get into that a whole lot today because if you weren't here last week, you, you missed an incredible sermon on this. All right? Money is mine. The second lie, and we're going to talk about this one today, money is for me. It's for me. It's, these are the two things that I was dealing with with my own career, my own business my business that I started, right? Finally, the last one that I'm saving for next week because it's going to be a humdinger. Money will make me happy. Say, Come on, Greg, bring it on. Happy. All right. 
This is, this is what we think when we are in the center of everything. Everything revolves around us. So whatever it is, in this case it's money. It's mine. It's for me. It will make me happy. So last week I showed you a different way to live. We put Jesus in the center. And the first thing we find out is that money is God's. And for those of you who weren't here last week, we always say, and, and I, I know I've taught this at some point, forgive me, because it's not true. We always said, well, the first 10% is God's. Wrong. It's all His. It's all His. That 10% thing, that's a, that's a diving board. That's a, that's a starter block for what God wants to do. Not, you, you're thinking, to us? No, through us and in us. And, and because of us, the world can change. But money is God's. Today, I want to talk about this. Money is for God's kingdom. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the money that you're making, the money that you're working toward, that, that you've been planning on, that you've been trying to raise and, and catch up to the economy? It's not for you. It, it's, it's for for God. And, and listen, if you're not a Christ follower here today, please stay with me because I think, I think you'll learn something today that, that maybe will get some juices flowing. But I want to give you three things that help us move from a me-centered world to a Jesus-centered world as it relates to why the money exists, why we have it. Because that's exactly what has to happen in everything we do. Something has to shift where it's not us in the middle, it's Jesus at the middle of our lives, and then he can bless us. So I, the first thing, number one, I want you to write this down. Here's the first thing you need to do. You need to start to think eternally. Think eternally. Think about forever. Matthew six nineteen. Jesus said, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroyed and where where rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal wherever your treasure is there the desires of your heart will also be we talked about that last week but what Jesus is trying to get us to do here is to think about forever think about eternal things when you think eternally, the day-to-day -day decisions that you make in your life about money will change. The way you handle the money that God has given you, if you think eternally, the way you handle that money is going to change. And as I shared with you last week, money is a thermometer because it'll tell you where your heart is, but it is also a catalyst. It's an energy that if you put your money in the right place, your heart will follow that, and your heart will come alive if you put it in the right places. And so when we begin to think about the, the more thing, in my case, the stuff thing, the, you know, we want more, we want more. When I go to the Apple store, which I try not to do now, it's, it's like an addiction, and 
And sometimes they ask me to leave because I just want to look at all the things I could have. I bought a thermostat, a Nest. It didn't go over well at home. It, it, it didn't work right. And I, that's a different story. I won't go there, but it seemed like it's some, at the right, you know, when I thought about it, it was a great idea and needed to have it. I had to have it. iPad Pro. Oh, my gosh. Have you seen this? I need it. I need, I need that. Um, there's so many things we need. Racking up $60,000 of school debt studying the habits of Chinese turtles. I don't, I don't know why I used last week. <laughs> Got to do that. If you're thinking eternally, do you think you would question what you spend money on a lot more? I, I think we would. You know, investing the majority of our wealth, the majority of money that God gives us, investing that on our own possessions and on on our own life, it's like going on vacation and staying at a Motel 6. Even that's a tough thing, isn't it? And then calling Chip and Joanna and say, hey, come decorate this for me. I want my Motel 6 room to look good. I want some new flooring. Whatever it is they do, the fixer-upper people, just having them come in and just... Wouldn't that be the dumbest thing? But don't we do that with our lives? This is a temporary place. If we really believe what we say we believe, are we living the way we believe? Because we spend a lot of things, a lot of money on us and what we're doing. We're just here for a little while. You know, we need to start making eternal decisions. Think about posterity. I, boy, I'm in a place where I do this all the time. I think about what am I leaving my children? Not, 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 in, the, the, not in the idea of a lot of money, but what am I leaving them that could get them to a place where they could give more and more than ever to the kingdom of God? That grips me. I want to set, you know, we've never thought like this before, but what if we did? What if we thought about how could we set up our children to change the world because we've given them the tools to work with or the, the capability? I, I'm reading a great book that, that's, uh, I can't think of his first name, David Green, I think, the Hobby Lobby guy. About It's called Giving It All Away and Then Getting It Back Again. He, he, they give away more money. than It's unbelievable, the ministries that they... They propel, and he, I, I, just, I love it, the book because he's talking about how he's, he's organized his business so that they always have this arm of giving to the kingdom. His, his children and his grandchildren are actually running that now. It's, it's, it's an incredible thing. But do we think that way? Here's the second thing. Number two, live simply. Live simply. There's a psychologist that, uh, by the name of David Allender, and he says, Children have two big questions in life. Number one, am I loved? And number two, can I have everything I want when I want it? <laughs> I think that's hilarious. And as parents, you've got to say yes and no. Yes, you are loved. Boy, somebody's excited in the back there. Yes. Yes, you're loved. And no, you cannot have what you want when you want it. 
Because that's immature, right? So the act of saying no is an act of maturity. But I wonder, and I've asked myself this, and I've I've taken myself to task on some of this. Do I tell myself no? Or do I get what I want when I want it? In defense of Steve and uh, financial peace, I've done away with uh, the whole credit card debt many, many, many years ago. I, if, you can't, if you can't afford it, don't buy it. That, that's been our motto. And, and uh, thank God my wife has really uh, helped me to understand that in a greater way. But maybe our prayer here just needs, God, help me to fix this in my life. Help me. What is it that makes me want more and more? It's a God issue. What can I do to stop this? What can I do to change the way I do this? Because if I can't live simply, I can't give, number three, give generously. If I can't live simply, give generously. I've had a few thoughts recently, and I I think this is so cool. Um... I haven't done it all the time, but I've done it often. And I learned it at the car wash. Um, I don't know what I'll call this yet. I've read something somewhere where somebody called it blessing cash. What I did was I got my car washed, and I did the, the part where you, you don't get out of the car, it, and it was like so cold outside. And these, these two young ladies... Uh, when I pulled up, they're out there in this freezing weather. They were all covered up with, with, with stuff, and, and they were cleaning my car. And I was going to tip them. And so I got my wallet, and I only had one bill. And it was a Christmas gift that someone had given me, and it was a $100 bill. I'm like, okay, how can I get to the bank really quick? And get back here and give them a nice tip. And in a moment, I'm like, why would I do that? These ladies are out here in 10 degree weather or whatever it was. It was cold. And, and, and they're cleaning my car and they're just trying to get by. So when they were done, I just handed them the $100 bill. And I left the window down as I drove away just to hear them scream, and they did. They were screaming and hugging each other and jumping up and down. And I'm like, wow, that only cost $100. (laughs) So cool. And then I thought about, boy, they they must need that. That, The the joy, the excitement. What, What if we did this? What if we had blessing money? And we just walk around with, and our goal is to get rid of it by the end of the week. What would that be like? I'm not joking. What would that be like? What if the first 10%, we pay as tithe, we give it to God, and, and, and the second 10%, we give away to people in need? What would that look like in terms of ministry and helping others and changing the world around us? In Luke 3, Jesus said, if you have two shirts, actually, I think John said this, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. 
What do you have at your house that you have two of that you could give away? I went out to our garage and I saw two cars, mine and Pam's. I thought, well, let's give Pam's away. That'd be <laughs> excellent. That's not what this is talking about. Anyway, here's what it's for. Here's what it's for. Do we even think about this? I, I want to be very careful when I say this because I, I don't want to change the motive of giving here. I want you to give because it's God's and He's given it to you to use for His kingdom. But I have never been left out in the dark by giving. I learned this principle in a huge way quite a few years ago, and uh, it was about 1982. And I had been helping this church over in Maryland, and, and we actually organized this huge concert, actually 10 concerts that we took to the public school system in Prince George's County. And um, uh, I'll tell you about that some other time. It was a lot of work. We, we raised thousands and thousands of dollars for that event, and um, it was just amazing what, what God did. But um, after it was over, I was sitting in my uh, little apartment with my daughter and, again, totally broke, just trying to figure everything out excited that we had such a great time, but things were messed up. The next day, um, it was kind of like a regroup of everybody that pulled this thing off, and the, the pastor of the church was there and some other people, and they gave me a check for $400, and I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I needed that so much, and I was so thankful. I just, I didn't expect it. I, I didn't expect them to give me anything. We just did something awesome and, and that was enough for me, but I got this money and, and so I had the check. I stuck it in my wallet and um, that evening, uh, a friend of mine who, who was helping us with the event called me up. He said, great, come over for dinner. And I got over there. We went over, you know, we, we had dinner and they said, would you just pray with us? We are struggling so much. And we've got a little baby, and there are, there are times we don't even know if we're going to be able to feed that baby. And I said, well, I'll pray for you. So I prayed, and in the middle of the prayer, God started talking to me, which, that's bad. <laughs> and so I just pulled the check out at the end of the prayer and signed it over to them and gave, them, gave it away. And something broke inside of me. And I think it was this lie. And it blew them away, obviously, unless they knew about the check and they thought maybe they'd pull this off. But a couple of weeks later, I looked, you know, I'd like to say, well, I got a check in the mail for $10,000 or something. I didn't. Um, a couple of weeks later, I thought, you know, we've been doing just fine. We're, we're good. All of our needs are, it's okay. Yeah, we don't have any money right now, but we'll get some. And I realized that God would never let me down. If I, if I honored him with my finances, first of all, my heart changes. 
But most of all, I've stepped into a very productive situation. And I'd rather live on 90% of something with God than 100% of something without Him, frankly. I just think that's not a good, smart, financial place to be. And so I tell you all of this to, to close with the same way I closed last week. I call it the 90-day uh, giving test. And, I, you know, you may have filled this out last week. Pull it out again because I want you to fill it out again. Um, not, not so you give more, but just so everybody else doesn't feel awkward about filling this out. I would love for everybody here to do this. Just because there's some people here going to make a huge decision today. And I want to make it as uh, personal as I can for them. It says, tithing is not an issue of money. It's an issue of trust. God knows the most difficult area for us to turn over to him is our finances. Malachi 3.10 says, bring one-tenth of your income into the storehouse so there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I won't open the windows of heaven for you and flood you with blessings. And then I wrote, countless people experience God's blessings when they tithe, but often the first step is the hardest one to take. That's what tithing is. It's the first step. It's the hardest one to take. It, it, it should be. It, it's, it's big. The 90-day giving test is a response to God's promise in Malachi 3. Here's our commitment to you. This is from Destiny Church to you. If you tithe for 90 days and God doesn't hold true to his promises of taking care of you, Destiny Church will refund 100% of your tithe from that three-month period of time. This is a money-back guarantee. Folks, and I shared this last week, I've literally done that. We wrote a check to a lady several years ago for her entire giving for a three-month period of time because she wanted her money back. And it was, it was a, you know... It was a heart issue, and, 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 but we did it. We honored that. And if you're ready for the test, I want you to put your name here, your email address, and the startup date of when you're going to start tithing. That way, if you do want your money back, we'll know when to go back and begin to look at things. Um, all the rest of that stuff down at the bottom, that's what they read really fast after they try to sell you medicine on TV. Just go right through that. But I want you to... I want you to seriously take the test and see what God could do. See what might change because you've honored God with something that's His anyway.